All right, we're in chapter 3. Chapter 3, I'm not going to read verses 14 through 21, even though this is a section we've been wrestling with for a while. Uh, I'm just going to remind you and get back into, uh, starting in verse 7, uh, sorry, 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I, I just love to point this out. Have you noticed how it looks like Paul's finishing his letter right here? Yet he goes on for three more chapters. I jokingly say that's proof that he was Baptist. You know, but... <laughs> But at the same time, it, it, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but a lot of times in Paul's writings is he's writing about a certain topic and he's writing about a certain thing that's a thought that's in his mind and as the Spirit's leading him, he gets overwhelmed with the depth of it and he starts adding layers and some of his sentences grammarians would probably just blow up because it's just run on, run on, run on, but he can't help it because he knows stuff. He's been able to be taught by Lord Jesus face to face. He doesn't know if he was in his body or out of his body, but he was taken into the presence of God. He got to see the third heaven. He's not even fully allowed to talk about a lot of the stuff that he saw, yet he had an understanding that he was being used of God to communicate to the church. And as you see, as Paul writes his letters, he just says, well, let me tell you this. Oh, and that reminds me of this. And let me add that. And when you get to the point, Paul, actually, that's the, where we're getting tonight. This is the point. Folks, there's more to being a Christian than thank God I'm saved. Yes. Now, there's dangers because of this truth. And we're going to talk about some of those tonight as well. But as we've been looking, Paul said in chapter 1 and following, he said, My prayer is that your eyes would be opened to the fact that there's a hope available to you. The riches that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power that's available to us. But here in chapter 3, he goes into more detail. And we've been looking at that for the last three weeks where he talks about how his prayer is that we would be strengthened in our inner man, we would receive his strength in our inner man, that we would know the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God and comprehend this love that surpasses knowledge. And tonight we're looking at the third part of what he prayed, that we would be, well, look at what it says, filled, the end of verse 19, with all the fullness of God. Now, if any of you have been taking the time to really kind of meditate on these three parts that he's prayed for us, you'd say, Jim, aren't they kind of all the same thing? Yes, they're all kind of connected. That in our being strengthened by his divine power in our inner man, which is connected to us really understanding the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, the love of the Lord for us, and being filled to the fullness of God, it's all kind of, you can't separate Because if you really are starting to understand the depth of the God's love for you, Guess who opened your eyes to that? The Holy Spirit. And you're receiving His strength in your inner man. At the same time, that's a part of this being full to the fullness of God. We're going to get into all that tonight. So as we do, though, I want to kind of remind you of where we ended up last week. At the end of last week, I gave you a little teaser, a little commercial where we're going to be going tonight. And I want to remind you of that. And I want you to look at these deep truths that will help us then understand verse 19 and following. All right. So put a bookmark here in Ephesians and go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Teresa, by the way, ever since I finished sharing you my tick story, I've been itching 
just thinking about it. So, and everybody that's listening online right now is saying, I want to know the tick story. Sorry. <laughs> Hebrews chapter, call Teresa. Hebrews chapter two, look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, meaning Jesus, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. All right. Here it says that Jesus partook of what? Flesh and blood. What does that mean when it says he partook of flesh and blood? He became mortal. He experienced humanity. Right? Now this is important because does anybody here doubt that Jesus experienced humanity and took on flesh and blood? Hopefully not. Hopefully most of us here are believers and we understand that Jesus not only being God was also 100% human. And he took on flesh. But here's where I'm going to kind of use that against you. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. We saw in Hebrews chapter 2 that he partook of flesh and blood. Listen to what 2 Peter chapter 1 says in verses 3 and 4. His, meaning God's, divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're, if you have NIV, it says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers. Sounds like partook, doesn't it? Of what? You know where I'm going. We have no problem acknowledging that Jesus partook of flesh and blood. But let's be honest, don't we kind of struggle with that whole concept of us experiencing God's divine nature? God's divine power. Again, we're going to be fully faithful to the Word of God. And as we look at Scripture, we're going to examine it against the whole of Scripture. Because like I've told you before, you need to get your interpretation about these things from the context and from the whole of Scripture. If what the context and the whole of Scripture says agrees, you've got the correct biblical interpretation. There are a lot of Christians over the years that have gone off into these schisms and cults and sects and whatever you want to call them, because they've taken Scripture when it starts getting into the fullness of God and the things of the Spirit, and they start to move into realms that are unbiblical. Like I said in my prayer beforehand, there are those that also go the other direction, and they don't want to do anything about the Spirit because it's scary and it's unknown, and they just, you know, they're going to put God in a box, and we've already got the conclusive Scripture, and that's all we need. And the whole idea of listening to His Spirit and being led of His Spirit is confusing, and scary, so we just leave it alone. And I want us to be faithful and get in the middle here, folks, where the Bible teaches we're supposed to always be. And so I just want to throw this out to you. As we start moving into looking at what the Scripture says about being filled to all the fullness of God, you agreed that the Scripture says He partook of flesh and blood and you got no problem. Are you ready to at least say, Lord, what does it mean then to partake of the divine nature? I want to go there. I want to go there. But people always want to confuse it to, at no time are you, you becoming God. You're not, exactly. This is one of those wacky things, like I said, that's one of the many roads that people run down that are unbiblical. Okay. I'm not saying you become you God. experience the power 
that is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Now, this is where, and I'm, I'm just making a little commercial for where we're going to go a little bit later. We have to be careful. Because how God demonstrates his power in my life may be different from how he demonstrates his power in your life. But we, when he demonstrates his power in our lives in a certain way, have a tendency to say, if you really were walking God the way I am, you would experience it the same. You understand? Don't we do that? We have a tendency to do that. And if you've ever heard me teach on the principles of a God-centered church, you, you'll know that God doesn't duplicate his methods. And then when Jesus healed people of blindness, he never used the exact same method. He always used a different method. All the way through Scripture, you'll see God doesn't change. His truth doesn't change. His principles will never change. But His methods did. One of the reasons, there's lots of reasons. One of the reasons is because He's teaching each time. If you look at His method, there's a reason. I'm going to be teaching on that this Sunday at the church that I'm preaching at in Palm Bay. And I'm going to be showing you how God did something different each time. But He was teaching. At the same time, another reason why is this. What if Jesus, when He healed people of blindness, because we see in the Scriptures at least three people that He healed of blindness. One person He touches once. Right. And you can see another person, he spits on their eyes and they say, I see people like trees walking around. The Bible says he touched them a second time and they can see. And then the third person we see is, is in John nine where he spits on ground and makes mud and he puts the mud on the man's eyes. Again, Jesus is God. He can just say the word and they'd be healed. But in each instance, he chose a different method. Let me ask you a question. What would we be doing today if every time that Jesus healed someone in the Bible of blindness, every single time he spit in the ground and made mud? And put it on their eyes. What would we be doing today? We'd be horking up loogies, wouldn't we? We would, we would be spitting in the ground and making mud. I just said that so it'd stick in your head. All right. But here's the deal. Why? Because we would think the power is in the method. Vance Havner wonderfully says this. He says, if those three guys were alive today, this is what their conversation would be like. The three guys have been healed by Jesus of blindness. The first one would walk up and say, I've been healed by the Lord. The second one says, hang on for a second. You didn't receive the full healing. He touched you only once. He touched me twice. Third guy walks up and says, well, did you receive mud? Because if you didn't get mud, you didn't have the healing. And Vance Habner says, if those three guys were alive today, they would have started three different churches. Church of the one touch, church of the two touch, and the mudites. Because how God demonstrates his power for me and through me is how he's supposed to do it for you. That's one of the dangers we're going to be watching out for tonight. As we move into this, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Don't assume that how God's going to demonstrate his power in your life is how God's going to demonstrate his power in everybody else's life. You notice Paul doesn't get into the specifics. He just says it's there, and I want you to experience it. And that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for that you'd be experience, to experience it. All right? And real quickly here in this passage in Peter, and then we'll go back to Ephesians. Look at what he says here again, verse, by the end of verse 3. All right? Says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. Did you catch that? God didn't just save you, folks. He's called you to live a life under His power. We've already been dealing with that. We can't do it apart from Him. Under His power, learning how to yield to His Spirit, being led of His Spirit, you are to live your life under His control, and in doing so, He's drawing you to what? His glory and goodness. And He's made us promises. This is where we're going to move into now. 
To understand the fullness of God, you've got to know what God has said, and you've got to know what He's promised, and then you've got to believe that, and then you've got to act in faith according to what He said. And when you do, you will begin to experience strengthening in your inner man by the power of His Spirit. You'll really start to understand the depth of His love, and you'll begin to understand the fullness, the fullness of what it means to have, have the fullness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of want to go there. So, let's go there. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says in, in the verse 19, in, in verse 19, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Some of you might say, Jim, wait a minute, didn't you just read to us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that he's already given us everything we need? Has anybody thought about that? We just said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We've already got everything we need for life and godliness. Why is Paul praying that we would be filled to all the fullness of God? You already got it. Because our flesh is alive. Okay, you're right. Your flesh is alive. But go in more detail. What do you mean by that? We have a will. Mm -hmm. We're going to bend to his calling and wooing daily. This is very important. Listen closely, folks. That's why you've got to build your doctrine about things of the Spirit according to the whole of Scripture. If the Scripture says you've already received everything you need. Do you need more of God? No. You've already received everything you need through your knowledge of Him. When you got saved and the Spirit of God came to indwell you, everything you need for the life that God has for you to live, you already have it right now. You don't need a special service. You don't need someone to come and lay hands on you and have a special experience. You don't need to go to find the spout where the oompah comes out. You've already got everything you need. But Paul prayed that we would experience that. Why? Does God have all of you? And like you just brought out, we choose whom we're going to serve, whether it's the flesh or whether it's this new man that we've been given, this divine nature that is now living within us. And it's a daily struggle. It's a daily battle. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we're to offer our bodies, our flesh, as living sacrifice. We're going to lay it on the altar every single day. And not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is live for self, but be transformed by the renewing. And by the way, in the Greek, that means a daily renewing, a continual renewing of our minds. And then you'll be able to understand what God's will is and so on. We have to be willing to understand, God, you've already said that everything I need is here. Because you live within me. I don't need to fall prey to some false teacher who says that I need to have another experience. It's all here. Now, the question is, how do I learn to let you fill me? See, it's not a fill me. It's a fill me. And you're going to see that in Scripture. I'll show you that in a little bit. So, well, let's go and let's deal with that. This term filling... We keep hearing filling and we keep picture someone pouring something in. Scripture says you already got everything you need. So you don't need someone from out to pour into you anymore. If you're saved and the Spirit of God's in you, you've already got it. And actually, if you do a study, and I'm going to show you that a little bit of the study, you'll do a study of the word filled and being filled with the Spirit, you will find that the term being filled with the Spirit is a continual process of God taking control of your life. Actually, you want to be biblical? Every time it talks about being filled with the Spirit, change the word into under control of the Spirit, 
and it will all of a sudden, the scripture will make sense to you. All right, you've already got everything you need. He's already in you. But you choose whether or not you're going to let his spirit have control, or you choose whether or not you're going to listen to your flesh. You've got a choice. God isn't forcing you. We ain't walking around like puppets where God controls us in that way. Don't we have a choice? I'll give you a proof that I've already talked about before. Let me remind you. All of creation instantly obeys when God speaks, except man. Remember, Jesus is God, and when he was on the earth, he commanded the wind and the waves. What happened? Instantly. I mean, it was so shocking. The disciples were like, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He cursed the fig tree. What happened? Whoop. They were amazed at how quickly it had withered. Why? He commanded, and it died. The Bible says he commanded the demons, and they came out. Oh, the disciples every now and then had a wrestling match with a demon or two. But did the demons wrestle with Jesus? And when he commanded, they obeyed. He even told them to be quiet, and they shut up. Yet there's a story in the Bible where Jesus heals this man, and the scripture, you can double check me, most of the translations even bring it out. The scripture says he commanded him not to tell anyone. How'd the guy do? <laughs> blah, 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 all the way. Guess what, folks? We have been given the ability to say yes or no to God. It's in there. Yes, I know he's sovereign. Yes, I know this salvation is his work. But you cannot remove the fact that the Bible also teaches at the same time that man has been given responsibility and the ability to say yes or no to God. But Jim, if God, don't try to run down those roads and make them fit. They're both there in the scriptures. Leave it alone. But at the same time, you now choose. You choose whether or not you're going to let the spirit of God have control or whether or not you're going to let your flesh have control. Oh, but when we learn how to let his spirit have control and we by faith do what his word says and we trust him to make it work and him to give us the glory, the power and reveal his glory through us. The world starts to see in us something that is not human. Years ago, I was preaching in this one church in uh, um, Branford, Florida. And in the middle of a message, I was doing a series of messages. It was Tuesday night of the messages. I was preaching on something. I don't even remember what. And somehow in the middle, I felt led of God to just tell him how I felt about Robert's Rules of Order. You're about to hear. I said this. I said, Robert's Rules of Order is an insult to the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Bible says we're supposed to be people who are led of his spirit under the control of his spirit. Correct. Why do we need a set of rules to control us when we get together to seek the will of God? Amen. That's all I said. I said, if we're supposed to be led of the Spirit and under the control of the Spirit, why do we need a set of rules to control us when we get together to seek the will of God? That is an insult to the Holy Spirit. I left it at that, went back to preaching whatever it was. Next day, I go in to meet with the pastor, and he says, uh, um, well, actually, the secretary was there. She said, so-and-so is looking for you, and he's mad. <laughs> and I said, okay. And the pastor leaned over to me, and he says, be to watch out. He's packing. <laughs> I didn't know what packing meant. I said, what, what does that mean? He says, he carries a gun. I said, he carries a gun? He goes, Jim, when you preach Sunday morning, 40% of the men had a pistol on them. 
I actually shared that story the next Sunday at a different church that I was preaching at in a different part of Florida. I thought the pastor would laugh. He didn't. And I'm like, why aren't you laughing? He goes, I carry a gun to the pulpit. You'd be amazed what's going on out there, folks. But let me just say this. The man shows up. The man shows up and he says, I'm mad at you. I said, what about? He goes, you said something bad about Robert's rules of order. And I said, well, I'll say it again. And I said, and this is what his response was after I said what I just told you. He goes, we're only human. I said, that's where you're wrong. I'm superhuman. If I let the Spirit of God have control, I am superhuman. The problem is we've gotten so comfortable or used to Christians acting in their flesh and letting the flesh have control. And it's gone on so long, the only way we can even have any control is to make a set of rules and policy manuals and bylaws and all that stuff to control everything we do because we have not learned to yield to the Spirit of God. Doesn't the Bible say, and I'm not asked for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but doesn't the Bible say that we're to be ready to give reason to everybody that asks us to give reason for the hope that lies within us? How often has any Christian been asked for someone to walk up to him and say, you're different. I see something in your life that I don't see in mine. What, how come? Because we don't look any different. Oh, we're doing the best we can. Folks, that is the problem. God didn't give you a spirit so that you could do the best you could. Please stop saying hanging in there. It's time we start moving into what Paul prayed for us here, that we would experience strengthening in our inner man. We would really, as we, this happens, we'll begin to understand the love of God for us, which is, by the way, mind-blowing. And on top of that, we'd then, because do you see how it's tied to understanding his love? Did anybody catch that? Let me read it to you again. Uh, verse 19, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. I'm not going to go into this much detail because when we get to chapter 5 sometime in 2014, I will, when we get to, I'm just a joke. I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic. <laughs> When we get to chapter 5, in, uh, in, uh, I'm going to break this down in a lot more detail because there's, there's actually a lot that is being said here. And when you really take the time to open up what the Greek's really saying, it's really cool. I don't get into that too, too much, but this passage you really need to, I'll show that to you in a sec. Well, when we get to it. But, but for right now, look at verses chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand the will of of the Lord, or what the will of the Lord is. How many of you, and again, not ask for a show of hands, but are we all, I want to know God's will. Well, there's lots of things that are His will, and He will reveal to us His will. The Bible says we'll know His will if we lay ourselves on the altar. That's the rest of that verse, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Then you'll know His will. You'll be able to test and approve God's good and pleasing and perfect will. You'll know His will. It's possible for us to know His will. But if you're wrestling with knowing the will of God, here He even says to us, well, here's one thing that's my will. Don't be foolish, but know all I will, what the Lord's will is. And, and don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's no accident that Paul, in answering the question of what the Lord's will is, he doesn't all of a sudden say, oh, and by the way, you don't get drunk on wine. He, he didn't just have a, a, you know, a moment where he just jumped into something that was random. It's intentional. Remember, every word of this book is what? God breathed. He was led of the Spirit 
as he was talking to them about being filled with the Spirit, to under, help them understand, hey, in the same way in which alcohol controls you, I'm not going to ask for anybody else to share any stories tonight, but those of you that have had an issue with alcohol in the past, I didn't name Ken's name. How about that? I'm proud of myself. I can name you. I hate half the people in the room. Listen, listen, listen. You know full well. The reason I share Ken, by the way, is because he knows what God's done in his life, and he's proud of the power of God in his life. Listen, you know full well. That in those days when you used to let wine have control and alcohol have control, that you walked out of there many times and said, I don't know who that was. That wasn't me. Right? That was the alcohol talking. You know what I'm talking about? You were under control or under the influence, and you didn't act like yourself. Some people are happy drunks, some people are angry drunks, but they act different. Paul says, you want to know what God's will is? The same way in which alcohol controls you, be filled with the Spirit. And actually, in the Greek, and I'm not going to break it down all tonight, but just to give you one little aspect, it's actually a continual process. Be being filled. Be under the control of the Spirit. So much so that your wife will say to you, that, that response wasn't you. That was God. And you even go, <laughs> I didn't expect to respond like that. That's pretty cool. I responded with patience and love. And normally I wouldn't. I have peace when normally this situation would freak me out. I'm dealing with a pastor and his wife who are in the Beverly Hills part of Florida right now. And he just found out he, he was going to preach Wednesday night. He turned to his wife and said, I don't feel good. I think you need to take me to the hospital. Then he's typical preacher says, no, I want to preach. So then he says, no, never mind. You got to take me to the hospital. And he threw up in the car 10 times before she could even get him to the hospital. He gets to the walk-in clinic and he says, they say, you're so bad, you gotta go to the emergency room right now. They take him to the emergency room and they quickly do some tests and they, within two days, he's found out, actually they're pretty sure of it the first night when he showed up, he had two masses in his colon. He's got stage four colon cancer. It has already metastasized into his liver and his lungs. He was told yesterday when they finished the surgery that he's only got a year, maybe five. This is what his wife said. Oh, and by the way, they're in their 60s. They're around 65 years old. Their only child, they just found out their only child was pregnant and about to have a baby and they're all that excitement. Now they're not sure if they'll get to see the baby. This is what she says. And she, I, I could play you the, the recording. It's still on my phone. Jim, we're good. We're good. He's given us a piece. Oh, we're gonna, as soon as he recovers, we'll try the chemo and We'll just see what happens. We don't know how long we have, but Jim, we're good. How? <laughs> that ain't them. Oh, by the way, in order to stay drunk, what'd you have to do? <laughs> Keep drinking. Grease your elbow. Grease your elbow. <laughs> Paul says, be being filled. Do you see how this isn't some one-time event where you go and have a special moment where you were filled with the Spirit? It's a continual process of yielding to the Spirit of God that's within you, allowing Him to have control. And how you drink is by faith. You take what He says, you believe it, 
you act on what he says and you watch him and you trust him to make it work and to him to give you the power and you just do what he says, trusting him. Same way in which you got saved. We can hear me say this over and over and over. Colossians 2, 6, in the same way in which you received Jesus as Lord, now walk in him. How did you receive him? You heard what he said. You believed it was true. You asked him to do it. You acted like he did. And then something happened and you said, I'm saved. I'm forgiven and peace, joy. You know, you don't even worry about that anymore. In the same way in which you received him as Lord, now you have to walk in him. What do we do? We've got to know what he's promised us. Remember 2 Peter chapter 1? He's given us these very great promises so that we may partake of the divine nature. You've got to know what's there. Paul says, I'm praying that you would be filled. Well, Lord, what do I got to do? First, you've got to know what I said. Oh, and by the way, it's tied to really understanding my love for you and believing that these promises are yours. Remember the stronghold thing. It was anything that blocks your mind from knowing who God is and what he's really promised. And when you believe that what he says is true and you act like it's true and you hand it over to him, guess what happens? You all of a sudden receive a peace that passes understanding. You start to experience strength in your inner man. You rest in the love that God has for you. And guess what? You're starting to experience all the fullness of God. Oh, it's the filling. It's the control. Is it going to stay? Not always. Because we're still wrestling with the flesh. There are going to be times of worry. <laughs> you remember when you used to worry and say, I need a drink? Remember when you used to be afraid and think, I need a drink? Remember when you used to get angry and say, I need a drink? Guess what? You still need a drink. You just need to drink of the rivers that never runs dry. And the fountains of river, living water that live within you. You need to in those moments when you're anxious and when you're angry or when you're worried or whatever those things. Those times when you sense, I don't sense his presence. I don't sense his peace. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting worried. Guess what? I need a drink. And that's when you go and you say, Lord, what have you promised in this area? And there's promises. You got to know his promises. I wanted tonight to just spend the rest of our time just looking at all the promises. But then I realized you get mad because we'd never get to chapter four. Go with me, though, to Acts chapter four, though. We'll look at Acts four. Does that make you feel better? Acts four. Look at verses one through 41, uh, 31. I'm going to read this to you quickly, but I want you to see an experience here of the filling of the spirit. So that you can see it from scripture. Not just what I said, but I want you to see it proved in scripture here. And by the way, you all know that if along the way, if I get preaching like I just did, if you have a question, raise your hand. I don't mind stopping because the Holy Spirit's in control and I'll, you won't mess me up. People always say, I'm looking forward to the Bible study. I say, me too. Jim, if we're the Spirit's in control, why would we get mad? <laughs> Good point. Good point. But I'm just talking about the ones who are still walking in the flesh. All right. <laughs> But good, good point. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the, by the way, this is uh, Peter and John. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them came to about 5,000 now. Remember, it was originally 3,000. Now we're looking at 5,000. Praise the Lord. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anna, Annas the high high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, before we go any further, don't miss who has just gathered together 
in this room. Does anybody recognize this group? Who is it? This is the, the Sanhedrin. This is the high priest. This is all those people that just had Jesus in the room. What happened to Jesus when he got done with these people? He was crucified. They put him to death. Now, Peter and John are brought only a few days later, 40, 50 days later, maybe more, but just not that many. And they're put in that same room with those same people. Well, we don't know if it's the same room, but chances are it was. But they're put in front of that same group of people. You think they might have been sweating a little? You and I would have been. Look at verse 8. Then Peter, under the control. Do you see how it reads different? Under the control of the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I don't know about you folks, but if you've read about Peter, that wasn't Peter. That wasn't Peter. Peter is the one who says, hey, aren't, weren't you one of his followers? No. And a young girl says, I think I saw you with him. And the Bible says he swore. Your accent gives you away. You're a Galilean. I think you're one of those guys that were followers of Jesus. The Bible says three times when just the average Joe, even a young girl, said, weren't you with him? That's all they said. They didn't say, do you believe in him? And all. They just said, weren't you with him? And he couldn't even say he was with him. I don't know him. That's what the Bible says he said. I don't know the man. I don't even know what you're talking about. How in the world did he take a class? <laughs> yeah, you say they finally took. No, what happened is if you go back to Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came to indwell him. Oh, but that just because he came to indwell him doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit always has control. Because later on, remember in our study of Galatians, we saw that this same guy was afraid to act like he knew Gal the, the Gentiles. Guess what? Oh, Peter was in the flesh because he was worried what other people thought. Because remember, God had already showed him it was okay to go be with the Gentiles and to eat in their house and all that stuff with Cornelius. And he knew it was of God. He kept saying, God, God, God. But when the opportunity came and he started to eat with the Gentiles and the people came from the Jerusalem church, the Jewish people, they were like, hey, what's it? And he acted like he didn't eat with them. And he acted in the flesh. Hey, folks, guess what? Jim Johnson even acts in the flesh. Ask Becky, but just don't ask for specifics. <laughs> So do you, and so do I. Why don't we be patient with each other, bearing with each other, forgiving each other just as the Lord forgave you? You've heard me ask you this before. Is God done working on you? No, everybody would admit, no, God's not done on me. But we treat each other like God should be done with you. Amen. Hey, if you start seeing someone acting in the flesh, why don't you just pray for them first? 
instead of acting like, hey, you ought to. There are times, but you know when well, Paul confronted Peter to his face, yeah, they also had a relationship, and Paul had an authority that you might not have. But you can pray for your brother and sister. I'll be honest with you, and this is no, no, no joke. My wife knows it. I have watched over the years at times when my wife has, there have been some things about me she'd like to see different. I don't know if that happens in your house, but that happens in my house. But I'm married to a godly lady who in years past might have tried to keep convincing me, but she came to the point where she grew in her walk with the Lord, where she actually started to realize if my husband's ever going to change in these areas, God's got to do it. And she stopped trying to fix me. And she started to just pray for me. She actually started writing down these prayers. And I didn't even know. I'd love to find where they are. But she has. She's journaled them. And she has prayed for me in certain areas. And there have been times that God would do a work in my life. And I would change. And then she would show me. I've been praying for this for a while. And guess what? Let me just, ladies, let me tell you something about men real quick. Most of the time we know you're right. I'm going to be honest with you. When you come and say this needs to change or you ought to do it this way, much as we fuss, much as we don't like it, we know you're right. Most of the time, not all the time. But when you nag us and we know you're right, <laughs> now we want to do whatever you're saying even less. Here's why. Because if we do what you say because you've been nagging, we'll be positively reinforcing behavior we don't want to have. I'm serious. And so something happens in a man where that wall goes up even more, even though we know you're right. Well, you know I'm right. Yeah, but I, I don't want you to think this is good, that you can keep doing this. Remember when your kids were little and they used to scream? Because they wanted you to do something. If you're a good parent, you walked out of the room and you let them cry. But the parents that continue to say, okay, I'll get it better. That kid's going to control that parent now. We learned early. When they're throwing that hissy fit in their crib and they're not ready to go to bed and they're not wanting to go to bed, let them scream. They'll even go hoarse. We've had a couple go hoarse. <laughs> You know what? It's actually building their lungs up. It's good for them. <laughs> but guess what? Our kids came to realize that that wasn't a behavior that was going to be acceptable. Oh, but when you ladies stop trying to fix your husband and you hand him over to the Lord, I'll tell you something right now. <laughs> they can't outrun your prayers. They can outrun you. But they can't outrun your prayers and God's power begins to be at work and God makes the change. If your husband's saved, if he's not, he may get saved. Because you've now handed him over to the Lord. Folks, this ain't Peter. Oh, I could keep going, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. If you keep reading all the way to chapter 31, you'll see that they were all filled with the Spirit at one point. Why? They got together and as a church, they prayed for his boldness. They prayed for boldness. And they were again under his control, and they went out and preached boldly. <clears throat> we could waste too much time 
tonight trying to guess what being filled to all the fullness of God looks like. Can anybody tell me from Scripture, from our passage here in Ephesians chapter 3, verses, oh, I'll give you an easy one, verses 20 and 21. Can anybody tell me why it would be a waste of time to try to be filled with all, what, to find out what being filled with all the fullness of God looks like? He already says what? Go ahead. It's unknowable. I really can't tell you, but I can wrap it up in one quick statement. It's being in the house of grace. Well, that's definitely a part of it. But, but, but what does that look like? How's it going to manifest itself? What does Paul say? Now to him who is able to do what? More than you can even ask or even think. So we'd be overwhelmed. If you even had a... Look, I'll put it to you this way. When your young daughter was little, when she was four, did you tell her about childbirth? <laughs> Hopefully not. Why did you not tell your four-year-old daughter about childbirth? She wasn't ready and she couldn't handle it. And you knew it was coming. And you got her ready when it was time, but you didn't tell her until it was time, right? Your Heavenly Father knows what's coming down the road for each of us. We've been taught to sing in our services, I surrender all. I surrender. Lord, I give it all to you, whatever you have. And God says, look, I don't want you to surrender all. I want you to just give me what I'm asking for right now. Because how many of you have sung I surrender all, meant it with everything you have, and then realized you didn't even give it to the parking lot? <laughs> right? Lord, my life is yours. Get out of my way! God is, he has a lot that he has in mind for you. More than you can even imagine. There's stuff coming down the road that if you knew now, you'd freak out. Oh, but he'll have you ready when it's time. So why don't you just, in this process of learning to lean on him, why don't you just surrender whatever it is he's talking to you about today? Stop trying to run ahead of God. And that's where our preaching has been. You need to surrender all. You need to lay it all. It's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, uh, come to me, you are and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, take my yoke and learn. It's a process because I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I'm not asking you to go save the world. I want you to just learn what it means to let me live my life through you. But Lord, we've been told, by the way, in this Christian way of preaching now in America, dream big dreams for God and go and... Doesn't the Bible say, as John the Baptist was asked, aren't you the Christ? He says a man can only receive what he's been given from above. Why don't you stop feeling the pressure of trying to be the super Christian that the preachers say we're supposed to be and just let him begin to manifest his power in your life a little here, a little there, as you learn what it means to trust him. There's something you're struggling with? I guarantee you are. That's where he wants to work right now. Oh, too long we have preachers have said, well, you need to be there. And God says, I don't want them to be there yet. It's not time. I got them right here. And when we start talking about being filled to all the fullness of God, Satan wants us to think that means this. Don't go there. Why don't we just experience a little bit of his power? How about if the Spirit of God is talking to you about a certain area of your life, you then surrender in that area and trust him. And watch how, hey, he, he took over. Look what he did. And then he'll 
get you to the next one. See, there are some things we can know. We won't know all. There was, we, we can't. The Bible says we can't. But there are some things we can know. And I, I wrote these down. Listen a little close. God always has more to give than the believer has received. Amen. I want to say that to you again. This is pretty profound. It didn't come from me. <laughs> if this is true, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, that's him. That means God always has more to give than the believer has received. Along that same line, if God is in the process of shaping us into his image, he always has more for each of us that he wishes to accomplish, right? How many of you look like Jesus fully? Me neither. But guess what? That means you're on a journey with him. Stop trying to run ahead. Stop trying to be super Christian. There might be somebody in here that Jesus is saying, you don't know me yet. Or you know about me. You believe that I died on a cross. You believe that I rose from the dead. And you're trying to be a good person and try to follow my teachings. But you've never received my forgiveness by receiving by faith what I've offered to you. And there might be some people in here or even listening right now online that the Spirit of God is just saying, why don't you just take the first step? Stop trying to do all this stuff you're hearing Jim talk about. Begin at the beginning and just trust that I will give you righteousness. And from this moment on, you'll know you're going to heaven. Because there are some people probably in this room, and I'm sensing the guys tell me to say this. There might be some people in this room who are actually worried about, they hope they're going to heaven. You've never even taken the first step if you hope you get to heaven. Because once you actually trust him as your savior, his spirit confirms with your spirit that you're his and you're sealed and you know you're going to heaven. So if that's as far as you are, take that step tonight. For those of us who know we're going to heaven, there's more. Don't run. Don't run. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. The more I've come to realize what grace really means and who God, who God really is, and the more I've understood his love, the more I realize he's patient. Yet the preachers over the years have talked about how he was hard taskmaster. Have you done enough? Have you prayed enough? Have you witnessed enough? Have you? And if you hear preaching that talks about how you need to be doing more, guess what? That's not God. I liked it when you were preaching in the spring, I think in Galatians, where you said, walking in step with the Spirit. In, exactly. Keeping in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, those of us who are saved, let us now keep in step with the Spirit. Let's run with endurance. Yeah, run with endurance the race. It's a, it's, a, it's a journey, folks. And those of you that have walked with Him for a few years, more than others, you know what we're talking about probably now, because you look back over a long time and... You realize how patient he's been with you, how merciful he's been with you, and the fact that, you know what, he's not who we were told he is. Jesus doesn't want you to be super Christian. He wants you to just walk with him today in the area that he wants you to trust him. Oh, by the way, when you do, you'll start to experience the fullness of God, his filling, his power, his control. It's a process. And like we saw with Peter, some days we see it, some days we don't. But you'll get there in God's time. Remember Ephesians 1, 3? His, his blessings are already ours. He's already blessed us in Christ. Well, go look. Go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to see it. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, in Christ with what? Every spiritual 
every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So I want you to understand something. When we talk about God's filling and God's control, we've already received every blessing because of who Jesus is. It's already yours. What I'm talking about now, God's power at work within us is still to be determined by our receiving what God has for us by faith and by acting on what he has promised. Okay. You've already got all the blessings of God in Christ. They're yours. Now it's a matter of believing what he's promised and trusting him in those areas. And when you do, he knows when you do. Remember how I showed you earlier in John chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, how many people, when he saw the miracles, believed in his name, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. Remember that part? Because he knew it was in their heart. No, when I'm saying when you really trust him, then he takes over. If you say, I believe, but you doubt, and you say, I believe, but you worry, you say, I believe, but you act like God needs your help, he's not acting. You don't have his power. It's not going to happen. Why does God not want to help you? Anybody want to? Well, no, no, no. I, I must, he doesn't want to reinforce that behavior. Very good. Listen, folks. He wants all the glory. But we think he needs our help. You know, one of the problems with us as Christians and in the churches, I'm just saying one, one of them is God begins to do something and we start wanting to then super it by the flesh. Oh, if we could, if we could just use more efficient of our time or if we could, if we could just market this or if we could just, if we can get more people together when he starts to move, we then think how we could do it better. I'm kind of scripturally against fundraising schemes. Or we can raise the funds. I want to see what God can do. Amen. Oh, it doesn't mean I know how he's going to do it. That means we need to say, Lord, what do you have in mind in this situation? You've asked us to head in this direction. Of course, you knew it was going to cost X amount of dollars. What do you want to do? See, we hear God say, I want you to, I want to do this. And, I, and we say, OK, good. All right. In order for us to do that, let's have a meeting. All right. To do what God has just asked us to do, we're going to need. Uh, and we start acting in our own strength and our own wisdom. What does it say again? Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on what? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will show you. He will direct your path. Folks, without realizing it, we have tried to help God in this walk. And that's part of why we're not seeing the power of God. Folks, I got to be honest with you. I got to the point as a Christian and as a preacher that I got tired of talking about the power of God to do miracles. And my illustrations were the walls of Jericho and the feeding of the 5,000. came to the point where I said, uh, God, I want to see your power now. I believe you still do that kind of stuff. I believe you still do miracles. I believe you still could do all that. And you know what he said? He said, quit your job as pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> see, See, we want to see God's power. Wouldn't it have been cool to see the walls of Jericho fall? Wouldn't it have been cool to see the Red Sea part? Wouldn't it have been awesome? But how many of us would have been willing to not compromise when the Egyptians were bearing down right before the Red Sea parted? See, we forget that part. That was scary. 
And they had to stand still and watch God's provision right up to the last second when it looked like it wasn't going to work. And they had to endure the humiliation for those six days as the people stood on the walls and mocked them because all they did was walk around and they weren't allowed to talk. Oh, let me tell you, you want to move into seeing God and his power in your life? You walk in obedience to God, you'll have family members that say you're crazy. Are you willing to do what you know he said? See, faith doesn't begin with you. You can't say, I believe there's so much God has to do it. No, 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 no. Faith only can begin after God has spoken. If he's made a promise, then you act on. If he's told you to do something, then you act in faith. But you know what? I can look you in the eye. I can tell you now. My family will tell you. We, when we said, okay, God, we're going to do what you say. We have seen his miraculous financial provision, blessings in every way that you can imagine. I mean, folks, let me just tell you, I don't advertise. I don't have a brochure. I don't make calls to pastors saying, hey, can I come speak at your place? I resigned the pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic on a Sunday evening, and I had no places lined to speak up, speak, and no one promising any money because no one even knew that I was resigning, except for the couple people that I told, and then I told my wife after I'd already resigned. <laughs> Boo-boo, again, I'm not always in the spirit. But listen, listen to me. I've been doing this now for eight, I'm in my eighth year. And we are, by God's awesome, showing off of his power, booked. I got two, in the last two weeks, I've already been booked for July of next year and December of 2014. People are already calling and saying, and there are places I haven't spoke at yet. There are places I've never spoke at. You want to see God's power in your life? Are you willing to do what he says? Or you think you need to help him? That man will not receive what God has promised. Because God doesn't want to share his glory. Here's some dangers real quickly about it, trying to experience the power of God. Some people see the experience of God's power as the end goal. There's some people that are out there wanting to experience the power of God, and they're running wherever they hear that the power of God's being poured out. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard about those times. Oh, the power of God's being poured out over here. you got to come. And the more you've watched whatever happened in those situations, there was just devastation in its wake. Because that's not what the power of God's all about. Some people see the power of God and experiencing the power of God as the end goal. Uh, write this down and look at it later. But in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, Jesus sends out his disciples. Actually, the Bible says that he sent out 72 of them this time. He sent out the 12 at one time. And another time he sent out 72. And they came back and said, <laughs> even the demons respond to us. What did Jesus say? He said, don't rejoice over the fact that the demons respond to you. You just rejoice that your name's written in heaven. You're seeking the wrong thing. There's a situation where God's power was poured out and man was healed. And Simon the sorcerer says, hey, I got a big wallet here. <laughs> How much? I want that kind of power. And what'd they say? He says, don't, don't go there. Folks, don't seek the experience of God's power as the end goal when we're talking about this. That'll cause you to run into unbiblical realms. What did I just say? It's going to happen a day at a time, a little here, a little there, as you learn to trust him in whatever it is he's talking to you about right now. To one, he gave five. To another, he gave two. To another, he gave one. And that was by his choosing. And so don't try to make everybody catch up with you. 
or don't feel like you're a loser because you haven't seen God's power in your life like you have in so-and-so's life. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, look, here's how you're going to die. What about John? What if I want him to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? You talked about, Bill, about running the race with endurance. Actually, it says, I like how the NIV words it, run the race marked out for us. The race he has for you is a different race than he has for me, and so on. Stop trying to be like somebody. Stop listening to the preacher who says, if you were really spiritual, you'd be like me. No. If you knew me, you wouldn't want to be like me. <laughs> Each step in our growth is simply a preparation for the next step in our growth. Did you hear that? It's not the end goal. Each step in your walk with the Lord, each step in your growth is simply a preparation for the next step in your growth. That's very important. Do not seek God's filling or his fullness or God's power for your glory. Seek it for his glory. What does it say at the end of our section here? I'm going to wrap this up real quick in the two minutes we have left. Listen close. To him, verse 21, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Folks, look closely at who the glory goes to. To him be the glory. Anybody that starts talking about the power of the Spirit and that kind of stuff and they act like they are the center. There are preachers out there that will say, I've got the Holy Spirit right here. Do you want it? Do you want it? They do. You've seen them. Doesn't the scripture say that God determines who gets the Holy Spirit and who gets what gift and he dispenses it as he wills? If anybody says, oh, I've got the power. Watch out. Those are dangerous realms that are unbiblical. The glory goes to God who has the power. And oh, by the way, he's glorified through the church and through Jesus, as it says here. This glory is his when he when we accomplish the task that he's given each of us. Real quick, John chapter 17, look at verses one through five. And we'll wrap up with this because this will be our, our, our transition commercial for next week. John chapter 17, verses one through five. Jesus is praying in the garden right before the cross. Look at what he says. This is very important. When Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Look at what he says in verse four. I glorified you on earth by what? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now glorify, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I once had before the world existed. You want to talk about Jesus understanding he was God. But look at what he says in verse 4. I brought you glory on earth by what? By doing what you had for me to do. Listen, you want to live for the glory of God? Ephesians 2.10 says that he has prepared in advance. Works that he wants to accomplish through you. Doesn't look like me. Doesn't look like somebody else. He's got a plan for your life. And we're about to move into chapter four, which starts talking about the specifics now of living out all that he's blessed us with and all that he's given us. And he wants you to understand all this. Therefore, he says in chapter four, verse one, therefore. And now we're going to start moving into how it's going to play out for each of us individually. So you want to start to experience all the fullness of God. You want to live for the glory of God, to him be the glory through the church. You find out what it is he wants to do through you. 
and you just do that. Oh, by the way, let me just tell you real quick, that's not determined by the nominating committee. <laughs> let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for this chance to uh, open your word, and I just, man, I want to just run with this next part of it, but you have a reason why you want us to stop right here and let this absorb. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that the more we're willing to slowly really let your spirit open up the depth of your word to us, the more we really study it and allow your spirit to show us the whole of scripture, not just the passage, and then we run with it and build our doctrines and our theologies. And Lord, the more we do that, the more we come to understand what it's saying. Not only that, we also come to understand your patience. And Lord, I know full well, because I've been sensing it in my own spirit just now, and I've seen it on the faces of the folks in the room here. And Lord, as we see this truth, it resonates with our spirit that this is not only truth, it feels good. There's a, there's a release, there's a, there's a peace, there's a joy that comes because we're like, that's what I think Christianity is supposed to be. Because it, it, it matches with our spirit that you put within us, that's you. And Lord, at the same time, there are those fears that pop up at the same time. Well, yeah, but what about? Lord, whatever it is that you're talking to us about tonight, May we trust those very great precious promises and act on them that we may partake of your divine nature that lives within us and experience. Just like you experience flesh and blood, may we experience you and your power within us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.